Welcome to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with Opera Holland Park's director of opera, James Clutton. In conversation with creatives and collaborators, we explore the process of putting opera on stage and how the artists involved approach their craft. Hello, welcome to From the Producer's Office. I'm James Clutton, director of opera at Opera Holland Park. My guest today is the wonderful, wonderful Wasfi Kani. Wasfi, how are you? As well as can be expected, <laughs> <laughs> given that I've just broken my glasses. I know, that was a bit of a worry when I first met you, you just broken your glasses, so yeah, you looked a bit traumatised. Is it going to be okay? Now, oddly at home, I don't actually wear my glasses. I think I wear my glasses to protect myself from the world, in case anyone sprays me with bleach, <laughs> oh, because I didn't employ them. <laughs> okay, well, I know that feeling, I know that feeling. But anyway, we'll get your glasses fixed, but we're sitting in a, uh, in a nice house in Mayfair that we've either borrowed or we've broken into, I'm not sure. <laughs> And we'll only know if the police come. Um, but just before we start this, it's great to talk. We've talked about doing one of these together for years, but the, we haven't. But now we are. Um, me and you, we've known each other close to 20 years, I think, probably. 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 Um, I always get asked when I say, oh, I'm going to see Wasfi or going out with Wasfi tonight or whatever. Um, oh, I thought you were rivals and things. Do you get that? And is it strange for you when you get asked that because we've been friends for so long? Uh, it's, the whole thing's very weird because I think people say it to make conversation. They say things okay. like, oh, I went to see the competition. <laughs> and I go, you know, that's what you, have in the, that's what you have in the Olympics. But opera isn't the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, very good. So, um, so I don't see us or any of the others as we're not warring Tuscan hill towns yeah yeah if you do well yeah. I do well completely and if I do well you do well yeah and the more we work together yeah the better and I've, I think I've been saying that for about 20 years yeah, yeah no I agree I completely agree but it's also a strange thing because we both run our companies very different ways but also very similar ways but also there's this whole thing about that you and I have always been able to talk about things pretty openly is that right? I mean, that's how I look at it. Now you're going to say, we've well, never talked openly. But I, but I actually get a lot out of talking to you because, you know, if you're running an organisation, mm. you know, it's, it's a bit lonely at the top. And, yeah. you do, and there aren't many people where I can go, you never guess what happened yeah, to yeah. me today. <laughs> So-and-so said that. And I really wanted to slap them. <laughs> but I'm not allowed to slap people. No, you're not allowed to slap people. But yeah. I am allowed to slap you. Yeah, we often do, yeah. <laughs> But that's true, though, isn't it? That I completely agree. We've had many a conversation, particularly during the main the main lockdown and through the pandemic. We were talking a lot and saying, "What about this? How are you doing that?" Well, of course, during the pandemic, James, we didn't know what was going to. We didn't know how it was going to play out. Yeah. And I actually think during the pandemic, that wasn't the worst time for no. us. I think the worst time for us is these years coming out of it. Yeah. When will you tell me sort of whether? audience behaviours and expectations, staff behaviours and expectations, yeah, yeah. you know, people's behaviours and expectations yeah, yeah. have changed. But what do you think? I think completely. I think that I've said a lot to my team and, and to Angela at home, every year I think, oh, this is going to be slightly easier. But I think th- these last couple of years have been much worse than 20 and 21. Well, to, to, if I compare what happened in 22 to 19, yeah. so I moved in 17, yeah. we were all growing nicely, growing yeah. happily to 2019, and then what what happened in 2022, 2021, you couldn't have a full season anyway, yeah. because of distancing. Yeah. 2022, you thought, yeah, well, I hope most of it comes back, but most mm. of it, well, most of it did come back, but not all of it. Yeah. And I've got a question for you. You know when you say Angela at home, mm. do you have another Angela who's not at home? <laughs> no, I mean, when I'm at home talking to Angela, my wife, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, no, but I think it's, it is it is difficult. And, and I think the thing I'm finding more is that we're having problems with things that we wouldn't have thought we'd have had problems with. Staffing. You know, obviously, the hospitality industry in this country is having a lot of problems with bar staff and restaurant yeah. staff. And we have those problems backstage areas but I think that it's the thing is about having a having a look at it and being able to move quickly and I think that you and I you know in a, in a, in a moment of smugness I think that you and I when we were talking a lot through 20 and 21 we're on similar ideas coming from different places but okay we need to move quickly we need to be agile in how we think and how we change rather than just doing exactly everything the same is that right or not? Yeah, but we don't, I don't, you know, change is great. Yeah. I've, I've done a few new things, but it's, you know, assessing what, how you should change, I think it's very difficult. And I'd like to go back to the staffing point that mm-hmm. you made. So 
vast of. Mm -hmm. Of course, all the Italians who used to be in London or whatever, mm -hmm. they've all disappeared. Uh, so we're, I personally think we are feeling the staffing is connected to Brexit, yep. though you might not think so. I completely think so, yeah. So, now, you're in the middle of London. Mm. If you can't get staff, mm. imagine what it's like where I am in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in one thing that happened to us last year, well, in 2021, when we had a half-full theatre, all the young people wanted to come and work because they could socialise. In 2022, mm. they were signing up for shifts and just not turning up. I yeah. then discovered that a local hotel mm. just poached all my oh, staff really? right. through okay. social media. Yeah, okay. That's and bad. So That's bad karma, though, as well. It, it probably, yeah, then they were asking me whether I would publicise them on our website. <laughs> but that is You're not allowed to use your answer on this, on this podcast. It's a family podcast. <laughs> Yeah, now that is that is bad, and I think that all of those things that were, were never just straightforward and easy, but they've just added to the general stress about every department has more stress on it than that we did in nineteen. Yeah, and I, yeah, this thing about people behaving differently. Yeah. Um, so what do you what do you mean by that? Because I I've got very strong feelings on that. But what do you mean by that? Well, my core group of people actually we we run a very you know my my season isn't mm. as long as your season. Yeah. So I, I I'm. I'm kind of slightly let off the hook. Yeah. But I have noticed that... Mm, I don't even know whether I'm allowed to say it, but... We'll cut I it think if we the, can't. I think work ethic is very different to pre-pandemic. Yeah. So work ethic pre-pandemic was very different to the work ethic yeah. of a small Indian person like me. <laughs> <laughs> or a barrow boy like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I think that. But, but do, you, do you do you see what I you know? No, I do agree, but I think it's changed for a number of reasons. People just it, some of it's good, I think, in the way that people reassess their lives and the amount of work life balance they want to do, and that's absolutely great if they choose to do that. I think that one never came into the theatre generally. If we say what we do as theatre generally, never came into this business to have an easy ride because it was always going to be difficult. And. So, so you say, yeah, I totally agree. So you yeah. say work-life balance, yeah. yeah? I'm absolutely fine to say that my work is my life. It's yeah. the most important thing in my life. You yeah. know, I'm 66 years old, and in theory, I could stop working. But, and but listeners, I, she doesn't look like, she doesn't look <laughs> it. <laughs> well, it's because I've got thick Indian skin. We don't wrinkle. <laughs> we just die. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, so... This work-life balance, you know, yeah. I, I regard working mm. as a celebration of being alive. Yeah. I'm happy to work as, and I'm, I regard working in what we do mm. an amazing privilege. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's where it does break down, and that's where you don't, I don't want to sound like an old uh, fogey, but that, that's where it does break down. You don't down. mean an old fogey, you mean an old fart. No, I mean an old git. Right? Yeah. <laughs> an old git. And I think that... For, to be a fogey, you have to be dead posh. Oh, okay. Well, that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> But I think there's a bit of that that is just that if, if you want to, after you're reassessing your life in, in 2020, maybe. But I think if you wanted to be in, working in theatre, that's a different thing because that's, it doesn't mean that we can't improve conditions of work or whatever. It doesn't mean that. Uh, but it does mean that you've, you know, it was always a giving your soul to it, wasn't it? Always to work in the theatre. Well, you, you only went for this if you wanted the show to be marvellous yeah. at whatever cost. Yeah. And... You know, it's the spirit behind it. It's this sort of yeah. massive hunger. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, every, every guy in the crew has to want the show to be marvellous, yeah. and that is the priority. Yeah. You get tired, but you can have a sleep. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You can have a sleep in August. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I do say that, of course. <laughs> Let's go right back to the beginning. Um, when... When you were a child, when you were growing up, uh, was classical music around in the family, in the family home at all? Or was it something you discovered particularly yourself as you got older? You tell me first. No, I'm, I'm interviewing you. Are you? Yes. Oh, I thought it was a chat. Oh, we'll have a chat later, <laughs> come on. Go on. No, so my parents were immigrants from, um, they're economic migrants from India. Mm -hmm. So they came here, there was a war there in 1947, they came here and... Uh, we all lived in one room in the east end of London mm. six, seven of us mm -hmm. it was very crowded about the size of this room 
most of us didn't have beds, but it didn't seem to matter very much. Right. My mum said that you had to... Before, my mum didn't speak English properly. Right. So she was very worried that when we went to school, we could speak English. Okay. And we could do all the maths before we got there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember... I had to do my long division, I think, before I went to primary school. Right. And my mum made me do that okay. because she was so worried we were going to be behind all the yeah, white yeah. kids. Wow. So we, I, there was no music in the house. Right. There were no books in the house. Okay. There was very little in the house because when there was say, only one room. There was a paraffin heater. Right, okay, well, good. <laughs> there wasn't a lavatory you still in the got house. It. Yeah. But when you say there was no music in the house, you mean no music in the no house? No music. No music in the house. Right. There was a later on. There was a television. Okay. And then at when I was about twelve, I got a record player, and then I remember getting a record and just the thrill of mm. hearing a record. I don't think it means that I'm any better or different mm-hmm. in a way, James. We're just all the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I then. For one reason or another, I played a friend's piano and somebody said she should have piano lessons. I started having my piano lessons when I went to a secondary school. I then started playing the violin and mm-hmm. because uh, I think my way of rebelling against my parents was by practicing more and more and more. Wow. Nice. Uh, did, Interesting. What, what, what do you play? Did you play? Uh, guitar, really. Yeah. You know, so not classical. And, or and did, did, they te- did you learn at school? No, uh, no, not at all. I learned my, taught myself. Um, oh, wow. Just by friends wanting to play music, you know, it's that, yeah. it's that um, camaraderie thing, isn't it? Or creation. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. You don't think you're going to be in a big band to change the world. You just want yeah. to do it because it's, yeah, no, it feels music's fun. wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. Good music is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I want to, yeah. want to go and do. What do you do? You go around someone's your mate's house and play guitar. Yeah, oh, uh, I've done that. But I think, but I think it's a, it's a nice thing, and that bringing together, bringing people together about music often gets forgotten when all the arguments we're having at the moment as an, as an industry about what does it stand for. You know, it brings people together. I was talking to a lot of people after the, uh, the Queen's funeral and saying if you took out of that occasion all of the music, yeah, yeah. there was very little left yeah. in the, yeah. uh, the music on every second of the procession for yeah. five hours or whatever. Yeah. And about 40% of the, of the service yeah. had either singing yeah. or background music or the choir or whatever. Yeah. And so it seeps into bringing people joy or hope or, or despair or whatever, but it's just there, and it just happens that we ended up working in a particular part of the industry. Yeah. Um, but music, you know, I can go home as I do, and we go home and listen to Ella Fitzgerald and Miles Davis as quickly as I listen to anything else. I play very little classical music at home, really. What? A, a bit of um, Schubert or, or uh, Bach can you, or whatever. You, can you listen to Strauss's Alpine Symphony? I've just come across it for the first no, I time. I don't know it, no. I'll send you the link. Okay. It's a particular recording. But, so no, no, what you said about... You know, there's no doubt... When people say, oh, I don't know anything about opera, I can't go to the opera... Yeah, yeah. Um, or you have to be an opera bop, which is like the most boring thing. I don't think I went to the opera when I was about 28, so I can't possibly be an opera bop. Um, so what, what, what I say to people is all you need to do is walk into the theatre, sit mm. in a seat, mm-hmm. the music will start, you can see the surtitle so you mm-hmm. can tell what the narrative is, mm-hmm. the music will start and you'll have feelings. Mm-hmm. Your feelings won't be the same as the mm-hmm. guy sitting next to you, yeah. but those feelings are kind of telling you really about your spirits and something that's yeah. incredibly important so when we listened to music for the queen's funeral mm-hmm. it was talking to everyone's spirit yeah absolutely but i think you make a good point when people ask i don't know anything about it will i enjoy it the thing is if it's done well um it sort of doesn't matter you, you walk in you don't know anything about it but it has a has a feeling to it that you go with as you say yeah it, it's all it about feelings it it's about nothing other than feelings that's why i don't i'm not mad on um, real um music study particularly because i think once you start writing and, and reading about it so much it doesn't have the same effect as just going into a theater hearing a bit of music and going wow that was amazing yeah you know, it's a it's a much more heart yeah. Uh, rather than head, yeah. I, I think about music anyway. I can hear a bit of music and think, oh my God, it's amazing. I know nothing about but it. But James, we don't all have to be the same. No, we, don't, no. we don't all have to be married with two children. <laughs> you know, we don't have to be the same. Yeah. And so you can feel music like that. I mm. feel music my way. Mm. Um, I might like reading lots of books. It doesn't mean that I'm better, worse no. or indifferent. No, 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 absolutely. Okay, let's carry on. So you say the piano lessons at secondary school. I have my piano lessons. I practiced so hard right. that I ended up playing in the National Youth Orchestra. I, w- I actually got to play. No, I'm not. Sh- I'm not showing off because I think we are all the same. 
I got a place at the Royal Academy of Music to do joint first study, and then a bloke in the LPO called Ken King came to me and he said, Wasfi, if you go to the Royal Academy of Music, there's the path you could follow is this wide. Mm-hmm. If you go to Oxford, the path is this wide. Okay. And he said, it'll change your whole life. Now, right. it's only because if you put your bean to Oxford on your CV and you're going for any job or whatever, they all go, fuck. They all go, heavens. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're allowed to say that on this. It is not part of our podcast. Heavens. Right. She must be clever. So... Yeah. I then, at the very last minute... Did you know I, him particularly well? Or? He was a friend of my violin teachers. My violin teacher was called Vera Kantrovich. Okay. And so I did Mark's credentials. I got in. I led the you know university chamber orchestra. I did a load mm-hmm. of playing. I mainly played. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked reading books. And when I left, I could have tried to do some postgraduate playing my violin because I was still having my lessons. Mm-hmm. But I actually, I need, you know, my, my parents don't have any money, didn't mm-hmm. have any money. Mm-hmm. And I had to fi- make a, find a way of, uh, uh, you know, living. Yeah, I had yeah. to pay some yeah. rent and I had to... Yeah. In fact, I, I, I lodged free with a few families before I eventually... I got a job... I just I was very good at maths. Right. Having done all that maths. I've done all that early, two. long division, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I did most of my maths before I was four mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. I could play chess. Um, so then I... Uh, this is in the 1980s, when you were still a child, James. <laughs> you were probably in playing... In You were probably oh. playing tiddlywinks. Oh, my and God. And I was thinking, God, I'd better earn a living. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I... I actually... Somebody suggested I should become a computer programmer. This is bef- this is when computers. So we're talking early eighties, are we now? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is I left the university in seventy eight. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I became a computer programmer, and you start off by programming computers, then you do a bit of design, and then you mm-hmm. do this, and then mm-hmm. you start talking to the clients and going, "This is what you want to do. I'm going to turn it into those programs and those wow. programs and those programs." But that's what I knew about. Okay. So I was a kind of systems analyst. Wow. So I did a load of that. And I bought a house, and then I decided that what I could do is I could just carry on doing that and get richer and richer and richer. But I was 30, and I thought, oh my God, I'm so old. <laughs> I thought, God, this is what it likes to be. It's like to be old. And then I thought, imagine what it's going to be like when I'm 80, and I'm yeah. looking back at my life. What will I have regretted? And I knew that I would have regretted not doing more with my music. Okay. So I then started doing more with my music. Excellent. I was doing a bit of computer programming on the side. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but did you ever, uh, or now, not did you ever, do you ever regret that piece of advice you got, though, to no, go to Oxford no, first? No, 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 Still no, the right was, advice. Yeah. No, even today I had a complainer. Um, my favourite people. I love the complainers because I have to make the complainers into donors. That's my and kind you do of, that well. <laughs> Yeah, I've had some big successes. I'm sure you have. Um, so I had a complainer, and it transpired she went to the same college as me at Oxford. It is a kind of, it is a sort of bonding thing. Right. And, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. It made a difference yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah, I'm sure. But, no, no, I think the, I think the Oxford, um, it's, it's an incredible, it's an amazing university mm. with amazing standards of teaching. And mm. I'm very, very lucky. Okay. And of course, in those days, you could go to university. It didn't cost anything. Yeah, okay. In fact, they paid me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. That, I got all my accommodation free and then they gave me money <laughs> because my parents were so poor. Right, okay. No. Okay. Were they proud of you going to Oxford? They didn't really log it. Right. You know, I went for my interview. They didn't really log it. Why? Because it was so far out of their experience. So far out of them. Yeah. yeah. But then I noticed a bit for later on, my mother enjoyed saying to people, oh, yes, my daughter's at Oxford. <laughs> I don't think... You know, it's like my daughter's become an astronaut. <laughs> well, no, well, it is that sort of thing. Completely different experiences. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, that, I think that's good. So, okay, so you're doing the computer programming on the side. You want to do music more. How do you start turning that into the music side of your brain? uh, Well, I I actually started off by... My first thing I said was that, you know, I played... I knew the symphonic repertoire because I'd been playing my violin all this time. And I knew the chamber. I said I wanted to be a conductor. Right. I should have stuck at it because I think I'd be conducting the Berlin film now that everyone wants a female conductor. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I did some quite big gigs. Yeah, I I um, And then... I think it was Elgar Howarth said to me, he was conducting at Garsington. I was running Garsington from 20, 92 to 97. 
That's 1992, not 1892. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, just for, <laughs> just for clarity. Yeah. <laughs> Which century are we talking? <laughs> and uh, Elgar Howe said, well, for every job you go for, there'll be a hundred other people who could do it as well as you, mm. conducting. Right. But he said, you know, what you, can, what you seem to be doing on the admin side, drawing all these strings together. Yeah. And uh, he said, not many people can do that. Yeah. So I kind of figured out that probably... Yeah. If I wanted to start my own place, mm. I just need to sh- shed the conducting, which I did find very, very stressful. You found the conducting uh, incredibly stressful. Incredibly stressful. Right. When I what, did you see that movie Tar? Not yet, no. No comment. But it really gave me panic attacks because okay. I remembered how stressed out I was. Okay, fine. And um, and so so then I set up Grange Park Opera. Go back, stay there for a second. So at Garsington. Um, you're working with Leonard? Yeah. 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 The late, great Leonard. But, um, yeah. You, so you left you left Garsington in, in roughly when? 97. 97. To start your own company. Yeah. Grange Park Opera. That's right. We're still going now, obviously, in your name, in yes. a different place, which we'll get to later yes. on. But starting up your own company from scratch, that's tough. Um, I had a following. And I... Garsington. Yeah, yeah, I had a following. I had, you know, people thought, oh, you know, they could see that... You know, they loved Leonard and they loved the house and they loved Rosalind, but they could see that I was kind of the person pulling it all together. Yeah. And so they believed that I could pull it together in a new place. So I was very lucky. And when you talk about following, do you mean a, an audience following, donate, donate, the whole following lot, or bo- The whole lot. Yeah. You just need to do what you do, to do what I do. You know, you and Angela and your friends aren't enough. It's about investing in relationships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what we say. It's about yeah. investing in... and. You know, I'm lucky. I've met some. I've met amazing people. I have mm. the most amazing life. Mm. Oh, you do, and but so do a lot of other people because you do what you do. But I think the when Grange Park set up, yeah, um, yeah, you say you had the following and everything. Um, you were choosing the repertoire. I still do you choose still the do. repertoire. Yeah. Do you choose the repertoire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I, nice power, isn't it? Well, what I say to my trustees is I'll shovel all the shit. I'll only shovel the shit if I've got a say in, in what happens artistically. Yeah. If you don't want me to do that, someone else can shovel the shit. Oh, fair enough. No, I, is that how you feel? Uh, We're the same. It's, yeah, no, it's very rare to have someone who's doing both jobs, isn't it? It is. Well, I think, yeah, well, as outside of me and you, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know anyone else, but there, there must be. In the old days... Someone like Anthony Whitworth Jones would have done it. Yeah, yeah. But these days, it's more split. Yeah. But I think that I, I don't. I don't have those conversations with our board because that that was part of the deal from the beginning. That you know the repertoire and the artistic side I was looking after. So, do you that, want another that, drink? Uh, yeah, but then I have to keep talking. I'll follow you to the kitchen with the. Uh, you could give machine. us a pause. You don't uh, like pauses. I don't like pauses. Okay, just talk to yourself. Yeah, talk to yourself. Yeah, talk to yourself. I mean. Um, <laughs> so what's happened we've broken into someone's house in Mayfair I've gone into their fridge and I found a bottle of it's kind of they're calling it Prosecco Superiore um, which I believe belonged to me anyway that's you fine. think you own this Prosecco anyway do you well because I was giving a series I was giving dinners here oh very good I give, I give modest Mayfair suppers where I make the shepherd's pie very nice I, have I ever made you a shepherd's pie no you made me other things, but not shepherd's pie. Okay, shepherd's pie is next on the agenda for you, you and your um, Angela at home, as opposed <laughs> to the Angela who's not at home. Um, so, with Grange Park, thank you. For many reasons, you can go into some, you might not go into any of them, that's up to you, but uh, you, you move venues. So that, was, that must have been incredibly stressful at the time. Yeah. You said just before we broke, it was the best thing, but, well, it, was in, but so, it was difficult so, at the time. So it actually happened over several years and I, if somebody had told me in 2013 that you were going to end up where you ended up in 2016 or even earlier than that actually mm. I but it was it, when change happens it's, I think the most stressful thing about change is not knowing mm. where, where, when the end is whether what the end is or when the end is yeah. so our lease was terminated and my trustees said that we needed to find a new place. And I, I the National Trust, I talked, looked at a couple of National Trust venues, I looked at a few venues 
thought about a few venues, and then the very lazy Italian man that I hang out with, and he's not at home, because <laughs> he's in Italy. <laughs> he can still he's hear not pod- a Ruggiero. You can still hear podcasts in Italy, yeah. Oh, you can, can't you? Yes. So Ivano, who's extraordinarily lazy, spends too much time sitting on the sofa looking at his Twitter, he <laughs> saw that Bamba Gascoigne had unexpectedly mm. inherited from his aunt, who was a duchess, mm-hmm. A uh, 350-acre estate in Surrey on the edge of London with an amazing 14th-century house. Mm-hmm. And Ivano said, "Oh, Waspy, you need a new venue. What about this?" Mm-hmm. And I kind of eventually found it on Google Earth, mm-hmm. and then I found there were no pictures of it on the internet because mm-hmm. it was a, it was where the Duchess lived. Right? She she lived there in the summer. She lived in Hyde Park Garden, mansions or gardens or something in the winter. And so I and I looked at it and I knew Bamba Gascoigne and I thought. Yeah. It oh, you her. did know. I did know. Oh, okay, I knew. Right, right. I knew. Him. I didn't know. Um, but I didn't want him to know that there was trouble down at Mill. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go trouble down at Mill. That's a terrible answer, Russell. <laughs> Is it? A terrible you answer. Say, you say trouble down at Mill. No, then. I, could, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend to. But uh, go on, carry on. Oh, I could say it like an Indian. Trouble <laughs> down at Mill. <laughs> Except we don't have mills. <laughs> I think maybe we do have no. Oh my god! Anyway, anyway, is, you're allowed to impersonate. No, maybe you're, you're not allowed no, to. Imper- I'm, not answer, I'm allowed right. to impersonate my mother. Yeah, you are. That's how my mother spoke. Yeah. Okay. And my father. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so you know, it was it was perfect because there was a lot of space, so you could mm. build something. Mm. I then thought that. Hmm. So Bamba's inherited this place. I need to see whether he's game for the idea of having an opera house built. <laughs> and but I didn't want him to know that there was trouble down at Mill. <laughs> so I thought, what I'll do is I'll put a couple of spies in. So I put my spy, my friends Mary and Alex Creswell. I put them in as spies, which involved going to the house. Talking to the housekeeper and having a look at the gardens okay. and having a look at the orchard and where you might build the opera house. And then I also wanted to send in another spy who is one of my lovely maestros, Stephen Barlow, and his wife, Joanna Lumley. Love, love them and both, I, yeah. And I, said, so I sent, them, sent them down as well and I said, oh, Joanna, do you think the housekeeper will recognise you? She said, no, darling, no one recognises me. <laughs> So she went down, she wrote me the most amazing email. And, you know, they could both, they could see that these formal 17th century gardens yeah. are perfect for the kind of pre-performance yeah, stuff and for picnicking. And then we would build a theatre just beyond the gardens, which yeah. is what we did. So, and then uh, they asked, we asked Bamba. Bamba said, absolutely brilliant. I said, you know, I don't want you to... You ought to put the whole thing into a charity so you don't have to pay death duties, 40%. Mm. Um, but I don't want you to put it into my charity. You need to create your own charity. Right. And all I want is a lease so that I can build my theatre and live yeah, happily. Yeah. And that's basically, that's what I did. Yeah, and then it was all, it was it was amazing building Martin Smith. They managed to build, it took a year to get planning permission, of course, very yeah. complicated because we're building a five-storey building in Greenbelt where you can't even build a garage. Yeah. Um, got that through. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Um, probably and, built, and built very quickly. And then, and then, so it took us a year to get planning permission. And then Martin had to build it between June and April, really, when the rehearsal started. <clears throat> right. And Martin, I built. It, it could only happen because I had built a lot with Martin. Martin's just about to do some more, more building as well. Right. So he's my age. So we get it. We don't waste any time. Yeah. We don't have any meetings. Yeah. Oh, we have the odd meeting. Okay. But, you know, but usually when you're building something, there's, like, far too many meetings of all these different people. We yeah. just... And, and he would often say, look, Wasfi, the builder would say, rather than the architect, he'd say, look, if you do that bit, dif- bit differently, it'll work better. And he'd do it. Yeah, great. Anyway, so we did all that. Anyway, remember, that was 17. But I remember it coming together really quickly. But I think also... Pausa. <clears throat> Pardon? Pausa. That's Italian for pause. Now, James, you have to make a confession here. To your confessing, no, to no, your I'm confessor. not going to. I'm not going to. <laughs> you don't know what I've done, Wasfi. James, you've no. never visited my place. No, I haven't. No, <laughs> that's because you're very because you start before I start every year. Then you're kind of crawling around Holland Park on your. You're so tired, and that's that. I'm assuming that's why you haven't visited yeah, me, no, but rather I, than because you don't love me. I love you very much. You Thank know you that. very much. That's all no, I wanted. No, to no I, you know, it's that thing of I don't see the money of the summer festivals that. Around 
within our dates because I'm there every night. Yeah, no, no. I, and, and then and if you if you think there's not a show, I and know, if you've got a show, you, you want do, to go home. You know. Or and or you're you're doing yes another rehearsal. You know. So, I, but um, I think the thing is that what what happens in the summer in this country, I think, is an unusual thing because we've got all these opera companies. Yeah. Working at the same time. Yes. Working. And and sometimes it's difficult to see everyone and, and yeah, do this yeah. stuff. But I think it's an interesting concept because so when did you start at um, Grange Park initially? Did you say ninety eight? Ninety eight. a few years before. Yeah. Yeah. Before that though, Holland Park just um, in ninety six they started doing their own stuff. But before that, really, it was only Glyndebourne doing those I things. Know. And then you look at that. Okay, that is yeah. thirty years ago. Uh, yeah. But I think that it's difficult even for us to imagine the difference in in what's available in the yeah, summer. Yeah, the landscape is completely, completely different. Yes. You know, and I think that uh, the, there's an audience that we're all getting, all of our individual audiences, the people that go to a couple of us or whatever, but that all of that came from, uh, Glyndebourne were the only people doing that in the... You know, in the 80s 80s or in the, and the yeah. 70s whatever yeah and then suddenly well, suddenly, over a period of years all these companies are doing it and, yeah and we're getting audiences yeah okay we're struggling as an yeah. industry at the moment but we, yeah but we are getting audiences so it's brilliant it's brilliant there's a lot of people yeah. that love going yeah. to the opera love the event yeah. yeah you know not only the shows but the event of it and I think the individuality of those companies yourself us Garcinto and Glyboy you know they They've all got something uh, in common, but they've all got their own particular things. Yeah, personality. Absolutely. But you know, James, if you did this statistically, someone should do this. You know, when so in, for example, the nineteen eighties, I don't know how I can look it up because I'm such a nerd. I've got all the Glyndebourne programs. Right. The one even when I was from nineteen fifty six because I bought them all on eBay. (laughs) That is pretty nerdy. (laughs) They're lovely. They're beautiful works of art. Anyway, so if you look, say, in the 1980s, say, in the summer, 50,000 people went to the opera mm-hmm. because the Glyndebourne Auditorium probably only seated about seven, 800 people. Mm-hmm. So max 50,000, not even that. Mm-hmm. Now, many, many more than people yeah. than that. So yeah. if anyone says, oh, opera's so outdated now to fashion, yeah. you know... The more than twice, probably three times that number of people go to the opera now in yeah. the summer. Okay, well let's let's do that right. I, I did a bit another bit of work a few years ago where I was putting together all of the shows that me and you, Garsington, were were creating. Yeah. Through the summer, you know, you put those together almost as one company. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know we're not going yeah. to that, but that's yeah. a, a massive body of work. Yeah. Massive yeah. body of people yeah. being employed. Yes. Uh, turnover of tickets. Yes. All, you know, all the carpenters and set builders and bar staff, all these people. I mean, just just those three companies employ so many people and put on so many performances yeah. every yeah. night. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah. So I think that there's so many different ways of looking at it. And it's easy, particularly the moment with the news that's around in the arts, that it's all uh, doom and gloom, and of course, it's not a great time. But you and I have always, even when we've had bad days, and I know I can admit this to this podcast, I've rang you on certain days and said, I'm really struggling, you know, what, what's Look, it like? I'm, and, going to, I'm going to tell the podcast, we have a few <laughs> secret subjects that we discuss that no <laughs> one's allowed to hear about. <laughs> and uh, yes, don't we? No, we do. <laughs> and we they do. usually involve other people who've annoyed us. Definitely that, <laughs> definitely that. But don't you think... But, but people are very annoying. You know, what I'd like to do is I'd like to create all this music and have no annoying people. <laughs> well, that's the aim. That's but, but no, but, but going back, because I think it is important that, because you can look at all those things and... and um, and see that we've got to have even when you and I have in bad days and you would ring me or I'd ring you and say oh I'm having this problem you have to have a certain amount of optimism and drive to carry it on you know rather than just thinking it's how old are you James I am 57 okay so you're 10 years younger than me yeah so I'll tell you what it feels like 10 years later on (laughs) it actually gets funnier Right. I see everything as a bit of a joke now right right I actually think it gets easier as you get older do you I do I do. I really do. I think it gets easier because you realise the whole thing is a joke. Right. But what do you mean, what the, the whole thing was? Well, the... anything, anything that, you know, basically what one's doing is you're trying to employ a load of artists, yep. you're trying to create a load of art, these aren't bad things, and 
on the way, there's a jungle that we have to slash through. Yeah. And so you just go, okay, I'm slashing through it, I'm slashing yeah, through yeah. it. And I actually, in a way, I find it a bit easier than I did 10 years ago. Do you? Yeah. Right. Even though I've been through my, as we called it, <clears throat> Grexit. <laughs> that was leaving the old Grange and going to the new Grange. I think everyone got that. Actually, we also, we also kind of had, we used to have this joke, we call, we, the, the, it was called Project Nelly, because Nelly the elephant packed her trunk and said goodbye to the circus. So we had a load of... Yeah, as I said, I'm trying to make a joke out of everything. Is no, that not a good idea? No, I think it's a good idea. I think you need to, because the, the, the core of what we do, of course, is, is, is art and, and putting on operas. And, and very important. And that is, uh, and that is uh, very important, but also we can treat it all... Um, with respect, but also enjoy it and have a light-hearted thing about it. The thing that's become more difficult that you and I were talking about during 2020 particularly money. is money. Money! And because that, not just we want money because we want money, we want money because it influences how many people you can employ and, and all of those things. No, James, in order to put on my season, I have to have a full-time office because we're selling all these tickets and yeah, we're, yeah. we've got hundreds of contracts and we've yeah. got you know I'm, I'm exactly the same as I know, you I, know. I need to get my keep my website going and all yeah. the rest of it so so you so you um I've lost my track what were we talking about well I, but I think that you <laughs> what was I going to say I had no idea what you're going to say but the thing is you have to look at it, it oh like, money we're talking about, we're money. Talking about money see that was bad wasn't it I even forgot that we were talking about money no so in order just to keep the show on the road yeah. you have to every year my ticket sales don't cover it. I have to raise a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and particularly while there's a war in Ukraine and there are earthquakes and, you know, people who... I don't know what's happening in Turkey, but it's completely tragic. Yes. And so, you know, there are many, many things people can give money to. Of course. There aren't enough vegetables in the supermarket. No, But that's nothing to do with... Anyway, so, so it's, it's... Yeah, money is difficult. And I think that's why I mean when I say it's, it's hard or it's, it's more serious or whatever, because I agree with you, you have to treat it with respect, but also enjoy it. It's meant to be life-affirming, going to the opera and music and all that. Yeah, all that. yeah. But the, the thing that was giving me the biggest problems, and still is over the last couple of years, is because... It's okay for me you to have a laugh here. It's okay for me to decide what shows we're going to put on, what singers are going to employ. But there is a thing of if we don't, if for some reason one of us doesn't make it happen, yeah, there's a lot of uh, people that's jobs and mm, livelihoods. Okay. That's the thing I found's got harder for me because the pressure on getting the money in is hard. In, in order that you can pay to people, being able to do all that, and yeah. that's the thing that 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 does. That has become harder for me to not to get because I think we're doing pretty well, but to, it's become harder for me to deal with on a mental level. That level of right, we need this to work because of that person. Because you've that got person, you've got a pair people. of no, yeah. that's what I say. So in my little family, basically we've got four people. Deck runs the stage. Um, we work together for about twelve, fifteen, don't know how many mm. years. Bernard runs the operas. Yeah. yeah, Helen runs the site, and my only job is to make sure everyone can get paid. Yeah, and it's not. And when I wake up in the night and I'm worried, I just go, it's all about money. Yeah. It's all about money. It is, but it's more, it's also, you've been, uh, it's more nuanced than that also because you hold it all together. All those people do do those jobs, but you hold it together because you're as representative as a com- of, a, of a company as anyone else in the country, of an opera company. It's completely linked to you, Greater Park Opera. Because I started it from nothing. Exactly. So the, so it's not only, it's the, it's the complainants. You said earlier on, you had to deal with a complaint today and to turn them into donors. There's, there's the glue that holds all of those different jobs together. And we both, I think, and talk for you, we both enjoy that responsibility. That's a nice thing. Because people do associate us with those companies. Oh, yeah, I saw your show and... But that comes with a responsibility as well of of keeping that standard, keeping the money coming in, making yeah. sure they're good yeah. shows. And I, I yeah. do enjoy that pressure personally. I do enjoy it. But sometimes these last couple of years, that particular bit, if I don't get this work in, because we don't have a permanent theatre, we have to build a theatre, we don't get all that going. All of those people, you know, we employed 400 people in total in different jobs last year. And you think that's a lot of people that are relying on 10 weeks' work. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to get it. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing that... When, when people outside of our industry talk about 
all the arts and always the opera. And you think, you've got no idea, because there's a genuine lot of people that we're both employing. But I don't every understand you. Year. No one dare say that to me, probably because I'd slap them. Well, they don't say it to me either, but they say in general in the, in, in, do, know, in do, the paper do, sort of do thing. Do you think? Yeah, of course they do. Do yeah. you think? Yeah. Well, that's why the Arts Council in, in versions of are cutting so much money from different companies. Do you reckon? Part, part, do you think it was? It's not such a... Well, it's one of those questions. If you look at it, is giving money to the opera is important, giving money to... Uh, kids that can't afford to eat or something there's no competition the, the, our job in our industry is to say that that's not a binary choice you can do both of those yeah. we need to have art and, and the, the, you know art art in a civilization is a kind of cornerstone absolutely yeah that's, so the, that's the thing you, you could say okay the only thing that's important is the National Health Service yeah. remove everything else be a pretty tragic place yeah, absolutely and, and it, because we've got and this, then you lose all your artists and yeah, yeah uh, but we have this long legacy with with uh, the tragedy at Grenfell because we're very close to it yeah we lost one of our team Debbie in the fire at Grenfell yeah and so we had a lot of attention on us at that time because uh, we were very close and we were making opera and the yeah. thing is that I remember being asked on the BBC news report live we did a fundraiser for Rugby Portobello Trust that's a great charity that works with people around there yeah and um, and they were doing all nice nice stuff at the beginning and when it went live they said to me do you think that giving money mm-hmm. to opera is as important as uh, housing people and I said, well of course it isn't but that's, it's not, that's not the choice that's up yeah. for grabs here that's yeah. not the choice yeah. You know, we do what we do in a completely different thing. If they cut us, that money that we will get in or people spend on opera companies is not going to go straight to that budget. It's not going to talk. And I, and I think that we don't, as a, as a group, you and I do, when we talk to people to get them to invest in our companies or give us money, or when we're talking to each other, um, we believe in the power of it. We can joke about it, but we believe in the power of it and how good it is to have shows on and art on. Um, but but people can find it easily to dismiss if they choose to, and that, I think that's a bit of the culture war that we're losing because we're not representing. Once again, not you and I, or not only you and I, but we're not representing our industry well enough to say it's it's good. It's it's the enrichment of life. It's all these things. Plus, it's employment for people. Plus, it's people paying tax on their income rather than claiming benefits. Plus, all these things, all the economic arguments. But at the centre of it is you go into one of your shows, or go into one of my shows at the beginning of the evening, you might be having a good day, you might be having a bad day, you come out lifted or more moved by it three hours later. What a lovely thing to do when there's so much misery in the world. What a lovely thing to do to go to a show and come out but feeling I think, different. But I think, I think you do feel that. I think it changes you. This, you know, depending on how you, you can engage with it on many different levels, I think it changes you. And yeah. I think that's why it's important. It's, it's, it's massively important. But that thing about that we were talking about on the walk to come here to break into this house, we're talking about, <laughs> talking about that. But it is that thing of, um, you know, what, uh, what do you want from it? If you go into a show, do you just walk in, you go in in bad mood and you come out in a good mood or whichever way you do it, but then it moves you because it is a. It is a because it, it's speaking to speaking something to it's speaking to your soul you know yeah. I do think we have souls yeah we have something there is something happening in the world that is beyond what we can see in front of our eyes yeah. but going back to your employing people so I know you do um, you do a lot of stuff that's beyond putting on the operas on that stage yeah and we do this project with primary schools we do a hundred thousand hours a year of teaching in primary schools Amazing. all over the country yeah. uh, called Primary Robins and then you know that I work in prisons I've, yeah. you've been to my prison thing I was going to talk about that next and I've, I've, got a, uh, we, I've worked in prisons for about 35, 36, 37 much. I've lost count I've served a really long sentence <laughs> <laughs> you get less for murder just explain to anyone that hasn't heard about this um, the sort of work you've done for, for many years okay so it started in 1987. I used to go to school. No, I'd well left school by then. I went to school uh, in the, uh, behind Wormwood Scrubs and I was doing all these shows with Pimlico Opera in sort of National Trust Houses and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, I should do a show in a prison. Mm-hmm. And so in those days, mm-hmm. you had to write. I wrote to the governor of Wormwood Scrubs and he rang cold. me up. Just, just cold. Cold, yeah. yeah. But you know, there, was, there was less happening in the world. It isn't this kind of frenzy of activity there is now. Yeah. He rang me up. 
I did a show. Then I decided what I wanted to do is I wanted to do a show where I'd rehearse the prisoners for four weeks and then we'd put on a show and the public would come in. Yeah. yeah. And we had we mainly worked, we only worked with D-Wing, people who were in for a life sentence, which means you killed someone. But people who've killed someone mainly kill someone they know, which is terrible for the person they know. But it means they're not psychopaths going around killing, round, killing random people in Mayfair. Yeah. Or anywhere else. Now, so I did my first show. That was probably in about 1989. And the, the point of the project isn't just sort of educational and rehabilitative for the prisoners, most of whom have had pretty terrible backgrounds, but pretty bad educations. 27% of prisoners have been in care. Under 25s, 50% of prisoners have been in care. So it's not just education and rehabilitative for the prisoners, but the important thing about my project is that you bring the public in to see about yeah. five, ten shows. Yeah. And for them it's important because suddenly they're looking at these people portrayed in the Daily Mail as people with two heads. They're seeing that these are human beings. Eventually they do have to be let out of prison because it's very expensive keeping people in prison. Yeah. So these people have to come out of prison, they have to become useful members of society. Yeah. And engaging with some people who are not part of their normal social group is probably yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Showing that they can do things. Yeah. You know, a lot of the time, you, you put on this show, and the most moving moment for me is on the first public performance, when the show finishes, the prisoners think, oh, was that any good? Was that better? Is what they're going <laughs> to shout at me? And then the public clap and stand up. Mm. And I look on these women's... I'm mainly working in women's prisons now. Um, you look on the face of these women prisoners and what I see is them thinking, I've really fucked up my life. I could have been... These people are clapping me. Yeah. I could be in wow. a situation where people are clapping me. Instead of going to court and yeah, yeah. everything they go through. So anyway, I've been doing that for a very, very long time. No, it's amazing. Can I tell two stories about you in this? Oh, yeah. One, um, the first one I went, I've seen a few of them, but the first one I went to was um, Le Miserable. I think it, not sure where it was. And, Wandsworth um, or... Wandsworth, it was Wandsworth in Wandsworth. Wandsworth or something. And um, yeah. for any, anyone, yeah, for our two listeners, you know, for the people that are listening who know uh, you and I, I was slightly late, and you can't get into a. It's difficult to get into a prison for the obvious reasons. Difficult to get out, and the and the uh, and the arranged time had gone through. And the other person that was late was Richard Jones. <laughs> so director Richard Jones and I were the only two latecomers. So we were being led through the prison courtyard, and I'm with the great Richard Jones walking through, and people are shouting out, "Oi, Baldy, what's the Liverpool score?" Because <laughs> there was a football match on. And Richard's going, what are they talking about? It was just this memory that I've just got of this, it's such a surreal moment walking through uh, um, um, Wandsworth Prison. Before you tell your second story, sometimes when you walk out of the prison, not in Bronzefield where I'm working, but some of these men's prisons, you walk past um, blocks where the, where the prisoners haven't been involved in the show. And some of them, they got used to the idea that at a certain time you'd see the public walking yeah. out and they would go, Water! That is funny. That is funny. Another great memory I've got of, of, of your shows there, um, and we had uh, more interaction on this, which you probably shouldn't talk about on here, uh, was the West Side Story. Uh, and when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way From your first cigarette to your last dying day See, we've had some Prosecco now. <laughs> when you're a... Anyway. Yeah, um, that was a remarkable show. Because the thing is about that show that is sort of probably, however good it is now, has probably been diluted over the years, that it's a pretty hard show for when it was written and... These guys that were in those gangs, in the prison version, they looked like they were in gangs, and they were yeah. really hard. And, yeah. and there was such a feeling of of um, well, tension, but just it was just amazing to see. So, so, so West Side Story is about a load of dialogue, a load of singing, a load of dancing, and a load of fighting. Yeah, yeah, they're really good at the fighting, <laughs> but they were good at everything on that. But it was a real sense of this is this is what this piece is about. This yeah, piece is about yeah, people. It? it was an amazing yeah. night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we really... Uh, it was just an incredible th experience to be there. So I've loved both of those um, uh, things. And 
it's just great to do because as you explained it people doing something completely different in prison while they're there and do they enjoy the rehearsal process as well okay so one of my stories about the rehearsal process is that so they have to they get unlocked in the morning they have their breakfast they come up to the rehearsal room they rehearse for a few hours they go back down to their cell for their lunch they come back and then in week two you're probably re-rehearsing stuff that you've done Mm -hmm. in week one I don't actually run any rehearsals anymore Mm -hmm. but I remember at some point in week two a prisoner said to me, Oi, miss, we... <laughs> they always call me miss. <laughs> Oi, miss, we done this scene before. And I said, it's all about rehearsal. If you'd rehearsed your armed robbery, you wouldn't be in here. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. But they get the joke. They get the joke, absolutely. They get the joke. But also, I guess you've got the, the, the prisoners here. There's no NAs there. They <laughs> I know they do get NAs. You get NAs because sometimes they have to go to the doctor or they have visits, and I get a lot of NAs. <laughs> or sometimes they have to go to court. Right, okay. And then they go to court and they might be released. And we have had this terrible situation where one of our one of our stars got released. <laughs> they said there's no way he's going to be released. But we actually got permission for him to come back to in. Come back for the show. Did he come back for the show? Yeah, he came Fantastic. back for the show. Of course Fantastic. they did. Yes. Okay, well, that's well, we could talk all night, as we often have, but time's running out now. Um, uh, James, I have to. I have to have the parting shot. No, you don't. Oh. No, go on. What do you want? To, what do you want to say? Well, I, I always love seeing you. There's always a limitless amount to talk about. Please, can we do this again? Can we have episode two? But I want to be the interviewer. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. We we'll get. We we'll get it on your website. No, I'm going to put this on my website anyway. Oh, you're going to put this one? Of course on I will. Yeah. Of course I will. No, let's do that. That would be that would be really nice. Because um, there's lots of things I want to ask you. Great, we can carry on. But the, but the thing is, um, what we didn't say was that because we've talked about our friendship over many years. That there's a there's a very special moment years and years ago when my when my mum Ari wasn't very well, and uh, my friend Wasfi sent her a camellia from her garden. So it's the time of year now. When the camellias are just coming out, I'm having to make sure they've got enough water. I've right. got a million camellias. I'm going to send some more to your mother. Very good. And, and yeah, it was sweet because we were meeting up and I knew you were very worried about your mum. Yeah. And I sent her a couple of camellias yeah, in a right. little box. And when, and to her now, it's always, is that the one that sent me the lovely flowers? That's it. That's great. That's a good description. Um, what's for a sign off? It's been lovely talking to you. I'm, I would, we nearly ended up in prison ourselves by breaking into this house. <laughs> and, and I only hope that if we were locked up that someone like you would come in and teach us how to be in a show. That'd be great. Wasfikani, OBE. And you've got something oh, else, haven't you? Come, what else you got? CBE. I'm a CBE. CBE, OBE. No, I got an upgrade. So once you get your upgrade, you give the other one back. You don't, do you? You do. Do you? Yeah. Oh, oh well. You could have given it <laughs> to me. We're all the same, James. We're <laughs> anyway, all the same. Wasfi, it's been lovely seeing you. Thank you, my friend. You have been listening to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with James Clutton. For more information on Opera Holland Park, please visit www.operahollandpark.com.